going to get heavy, isn't it? Well, I can't promise you it won't. Let me read you something right quick. Victory attained by violence is tantamount to defeat, for it is momentary. Gandhi, it is better to be violent if there is violence in our hearts than to put on the cloak of nonviolence to cover impotence. Who said that? Same guy. Gandhi wasn't afraid to fight for the things he believed in. What is it you believe in? And welcome to the main event. What a great clip from the movie The A Team. Let's play it one more time. It's going to get heavy, isn't it? Well, I can't promise you it won't. Let me read you something right quick. Victory attained by violence is tantamount to defeat, for it is momentary. Gandhi. It is better to be violent if there is violence in our hearts than to put on the cloak of nonviolence to cover impotence. Who said that? Same guy. Gandhi wasn't afraid to fight for the things he believed in. What is it you believe in? What is it that you believe in? What is it that we believe in? You know, this. I, I think this, this clip is so timely in what's going on in Syria, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, but before I, before I do, I think the thing that's on everybody's, everybody's uh, mind is the shooting this week in uh, Umpqua, is it Umpqua University in, uh, in Oregon, in uh, what city? Roseburg, Oregon, this week, and uh, what what went on? Apparently, this guy um, Christopher um, Harper Mercer um, went into uh, the community college there and opened fire. Um, the gunman opened fire at Oregon's Umpqua Community College, singled out Christians, according to the father of a wounded student. This is interesting stuff that you may not have heard yet because there's so much so much reports on Thursday about what happened because everybody's in such a hurry to be the first to report this. So <clears throat> this is some stuff that we've learned by Friday morning. Um, the father of the uh, Sea College student, uh, gunman who opened fire at singled out Christians, according to the father of a wounded student. This student is named uh, Anastasia Boylan. So uh, before going into spinal surgery, Anastasia told her father, the gunman entered her classroom firing. I've been waiting to do this for years, the gunman told the professor teaching his class, and then shot him point blank in the face. Others were hit too, she told her family. Everyone in the classroom dropped to the ground. The gunman, while reloading his handgun, ordered students to stand up and asked if they were Christians, Boylan told her family. And then and they would stand up and he said, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. Boylan's father, Stacy, told CNN, relaying her, relaying her account. And then he shot and killed them. Boylan, 18, was hit in the back by a bullet, traveled down her spine. While she lay bleeding on the floor, the gunman called her. Hey, you blonde woman, her mother said. She played dead and survived. Stacy Boylan said also the shooter delivered a box to someone during the shooting. 
uh, said his daughter told the man, told him the man gave the box to someone, someone who lived, and said, you got to deliver this. This box, somebody has this box. You don't know what it's about. So apparently uh, we haven't heard about this box yet. Um, or as of Friday morning, you haven't. So uh, this gunman, um, apparently the motive said the motives, Death means officials will definitely not know. See, the gunman's death means officials will definitely not know what compelled him to carry out the attack on the Roseburg campus. Uh, he was a little odd, like sensitive to things, said Rebecca, Rebecca Miles, who uh, took a theater class with him. Uh, throughout Thursday night, investigators talked to gunman's family members, uh, family and neighbors, try to piece together the puzzle. Obviously, it's a devastating day. Mercer's father, Ian, told reporters outside his Tarzana, California, devastating for me and my family. Mercer apparently served a brief time in the military. Let's 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 find out about people that don't stay in the military till they get out. Dishonorably discharged veterans. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should uh, do something about them. So Mercer apparently served a brief time in the military. A review of Army records indicate that Christopher Sean Harper Mercer was in service at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, from uh, five November eleven. Through December 2008, I guess that's backwards. I guess it's from, oh, maybe it's uh, November 11, 2005 uh, through December 2008. Or maybe it's December 8 through 2011. Anyway, he was in there for three years, but was discharged for failing to meet minimum administrative standards to serve in the U.S. Army. I wonder what minimum U.S. standards to serve in the U.S. Army are. Like, make your bed, uh, show up, don't be drunk in the morning. Um, be honorable to your commanding officer, uh, do what you're told, um, go to war when you're supposed to, um, serve our country. I don't know. They sign up in the army, they get trained and then they get to, uh, then they have to, then they actually have to do a job that they signed up for. Um, Bronte Hart, who lives in the building where Mercer lives, said he would sit, sit by himself in the dark in the balcony with his little light. Yeah, so what? That doesn't mean anything. Hart said a woman she believed to be Mercer's mother lived with him and was crying her eyes out Thursday. Okay, that's normal. Uh, another neighbor, Steve Fisher, described him as skittish. That doesn't mean anything. His demeanor, the way he moved, always looking around, Fisher said, I got a bad vibe from him. Um, but we're not allowed to say anything about people that give you bad vibes. Um, but it reminds me of a few other people. What's the guy, uh, uh, I don't know, um, the guy that we that we bailed out of, uh, we traded five guys for, uh, Bo Bergdahl. That's it. Bo Bergdahl. So, uh, so Bo Bergdahl, wasn't he in the coast guard and got kicked out and then he joined the army and was over there and then deserted. Um, I think there might be a, there might be a, uh, maybe we should, maybe we should, uh, ban people that fall out of uh, grace with the military because they can't keep up with basic mili- minimum military standards. I don't know. Maybe we should. Uh, and of course, uh, Thursday when they announced all this stuff, um, they just said it was a 20-year-old white guy. Turns out it's he's a 26-year-old. And uh, based on the pictures, I wouldn't call him white. I'd call him maybe white with mixed with some other stuff. But he certainly uh, didn't have much to say, much nice things to say about Christians. And he called himself spiritual, but he was against organized religion. Hmm, what was he spiritual about? But he's against organized religion, and he wanted to shoot Christian people. Of course, uh, one thing that would lead us to believe he was either Muslim or black, and it looks like he might be part black or part uh, Middle Eastern, based on his picture, was the fact that Obama came out and quickly jumped into the... I mean, Obama didn't come out about Syria. 
about the Russians in Syria, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But he jumped on this one, just like the professor from uh, Harvard and Cambridge, Massachusetts, and about Trayvon Martin and about uh, Michael Brown and uh, and every other every other thing that has to do with white on black crime or anything against Muslims. He's quick to jump in there. Uh, President Obama said, said the, uh, my response here at the podium ends up being routine. The conversation in the aftermath of it, we've become numb to this. And he, and he goes on to talk about how this is a gun control issue. This is something we could control, but we've got to change the, change the laws. Yeah, right. How's that working out for Chicago, Mr. President? So anyway, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure some of this information might be outdated by the time you hear my show on Saturday morning. Um, but uh, uh, this is what we know now. And of course, uh, we should just ban ban guns because that's what's causing. It. I think we should ban community colleges, and maybe uh, and ban high schools too because uh, you know of uh, Columbine. And uh, then we should ban uh, uh, bigger universities because Virginia Tech. And I guess we should ban uh, army bases because of Fort Hood. And uh, we should ban uh, little little uh, little uh, liquor stores that sell sell uh, boxes of cigars because of Michael Brown, and we should ban Arizona iced tea watermelon cooler because of Trayvon Martin. So uh, let's just ban something. Make a law. Make a law. That'll help. Hey, folks, that's just my just, just my initial take. I could be wrong on all of this stuff. I'm probably not. But you guys are all thinking the same thing, too. Anyway, uh, before we get into the Syria and all that's, all that's going on in this country and out of the country regarding this country, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located in the city of Moreno Valley, also offices in Temecula, Corona, uh, Orange, Westlake Village, and Downey to service all of Southern California for all your real estate financing needs. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free, 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, toll-free, day or night, 855-640-2020. If you want to talk to me but you don't want to talk on the phone because you don't want your personal stuff going out at the office where you're stealing time from your boss, wait till it's your day off. Wait till it's your break. Wait till it's one of your uh, your extra five or seven days of uh, of uh, federally mandated sick time that we have to give you guys, uh, and then go on to edhoffman.net, click on apply now, and put in as much information as you want me to have, and uh, let us know how much information you want want to get back from us, and you'll hear back from myself or one of my teammates, Matt Bradbury, Randy Sampius, Alex Rojas, or Justin Clark, and we will get you dialed into whatever it is, real estate financing-wise, you need some guidance on. Um, if you hear something you want replayed, you can hear this also at edhoffman.net. Click on list the main event, or you can get me on podcast at iTunes. Search Ed Hoffman, and you can uh, you can subscribe for free. Have it download to your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, your iWatch, your computer, and uh, it'll download automatically for free once a week. You listen to it anytime you want. And of course, if you have the Bluetooth in your car, you can listen to it in your car. Where most all of us have the best concentration. Uh, except for maybe in the bathroom. And of course, you don't want to be listening to a radio show in the bathroom because uh, everybody will know what you're doing. Uh, so we leave the books in the bathroom and leave the uh, the podcast in the car. Um, also, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. And you can like my uh, Facebook uh, page, The Main Event 590. 
uh, on the Facebook page, and you can follow my weekly column on IE Business Daily, IE Inland Empire Business Daily.com. Click on the opinion tab and see a full list of my columns, and you can uh, hear my, uh, my once a week opinion piece where uh, basically I put in writing some of the things I'm thinking, and uh, I may or may not have already talked about on the radio. Um, again, if you want to get in touch with me, 855-640-2020. So let's talk about Syria, Syria and Russia. So uh, one day after President uh, Obama and I, well, I'm sorry, Barack Hussein Obama, I don't call him President Obama because president is a act of respect. It's a deliberate act of respect. I'm given a deliberate act of disrespect. So one day after president, one day after after Barack Hussein Obama and Vladimir Putin met at the United Nations General Assembly, and if you've seen the picture, what a warm friendship those guys have. You know, they both kind of look the other way, hand out their hand. Okay, yeah, take the picture. Okay, we hate each other. Um, Russia demanded that a, one day one day later, Russia demanded American warplanes exit Syrian airspace immediately and began launching airstrikes over steer, Syria, and the strikes continue. So, I don't know. If we're the biggest, baddest military on the planet, now Russia's telling us, hey, you guys land your planes, get out of our way. So, Russia is believed to be conducting a bombing campaign on behalf of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Um, now, we're over there. We're over there. Now, let's, let's, put, this, let's put this in perspective. So, uh, Bashar al-Assad has some, some, some kids that are peacefully demonstrating about the freedoms in Syria and what they want for the future. They're peacefully demonstrating. Bashar al-Assad, the president of Syria, sends his goons and beats them up. So the, the parents get, get mad about the whole thing, and they go out there and, and protest. And then Bashar al-Assad sends his goons and shoot them. And Barack Obama, being the, pick, the pillar of strength in the community that he is, uh, draws a line in the sand and says, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to get involved until you start using chemical weapons on your on your people. Then that's that's the the line you can't cross." And of course, Bashar al-Assad uh, went ahead and used chemical weapons on his people. And Obama did what he always does. He he curls up in a ball in the fetal position and hides behind Valerie Jarrett, and we don't see him for a little while. So uh, he did nothing, <clears throat> and he had no he had no support for going in anyway. And uh, he just didn't know what to do. So, uh, so now, now, uh, then he decides that we're going to, we're going to, uh, instead, that we have to do something about ISIS. So ISIS, ISIS or ISIL, the, the, which is uh, the uh, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria or the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, which the Levant is a word that refers to. Um, the Islamic State, the ba- basically all the all the Middle Eastern countries. So, um, so we have to fight them, but we don't want to put boots on the ground because Obama said we weren't going to put boots on the ground. So we're going to do kind of a we're going to kind of go in there, kind of a half half uh, committed, and do a uh, and do a lead from behind kind of a leadership there. We don't really want to get involved, but we got to try to act like we're tough and even though we're not because Barack Obama's got no spine. So uh so they said, "Hey, they got allocation of 500 million of our government dollars, of our tax dollars, those of you that pay taxes, 500 million dollars to train Syrian people to be the boots on the ground." 
So after uh, several months or a year of training boots on the ground, we spent out of that $500 million, we've spent $41 million to train 54 people. $41 million to train 54 people. So I would think if we spent $41 million to train 54, that's like $850,000 per person. If you go through an $850,000 per person training for six months or a year, I would think you should be Rambo when you're done. You should be Rambo or Steven Seagal or uh, you should be something out of a movie. You should be... Uh, um, what is a Remo? Remo Williams, if you've seen that movie. You should be a a guerrilla warfare uh expert. But instead we sent them out to, we sent these guys out to fight after after forty one million dollars worth of our taxpayer money to train them. And what did they do? Well, fifty of them either got killed, captured, or uh, or just abandoned. And uh because they don't want to fight ISIS, they want to fight Bashir al Assad. They're mad at, at Bashir al-Assad. They're not, they're not mad at ISIS so much. Even though everybody wants ISIS out of there, they want their country back. And, of course, nobody seems to understand that um, as to what the... You know, it's kind of like George Bush said. Hey, he believed... George Bush said uh, he believed in the heart of everyone. They wanted to be free. And if we created a, a free government in Iraq, that, that, that the rest of the Middle East would see, hey, if they can have it, why can't we? And we wouldn't have to liberate Iran. We wouldn't have to liberate Syria. We wouldn't have to liberate the rest of them because the people would rise up and, and, and fight for themselves. And uh, apparently nobody believed that. We'd just be nice to them and everybody will be fine. Um, so that's where we are. Now, now Russia is coming in and they say they're going to come in and fight ISIS, but all evidence to the contrary. So uh, Russia is believed to be conducting a bombing campaign on behalf of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. So he's fighting the rebels who we are apparently is – we're trying to say, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to try to get rid of Assad so the, so the people that are trying to fight him will be there and we, they can elect somebody else. And we're fighting ISIS, so we really don't know which way we're going. And Russia comes in and starts fighting against the people we're trying to protect. It was originally reported that Russia was not aiming at ISIS targets, but Russian Defense Ministry said five sites were attacked on Thursday, and ISIS command post at Jisr al Shugur was destroyed. Eh, big deal. Hey let's, hey, let's knock down one of their little places so we can say we're doing it, but in the meanwhile, we're fighting all the people, they're fighting all the people that we don't want to. As of Thursday, Iranian, Iranian ground troops have arrived in Syria to accompany Russian airstrikes. So let me think. Now the Iranians, who are supporting the guys that we're fighting against in Yemen, right? Am I right on that? Yemen, we're fighting people in Yemen, uh, and and Iran and Iran has been supporting the people against us, and we're trying to make a peace thing with them. Now we got Iran in there fighting with the Russians, while we're there, and. Eh, just a little confusing 
Iranian ground troops arrived in Syria to accompany Russian airstrikes. It's always been understood in this building that Russia, in this building that Russians would provide the air force and Iranians would provide the ground force in Syria. One official told Fox News Army Colonel Steve Warren back the suggestion Thursday when he told reporters, "We know the Iranians are part of this. We've known it since day one." Does hey, does anybody remember this little clip that from Obama and uh, Obama and Mitt Romney uh, four years ago at their third debate? Play this. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat. Because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s or now, calling to ask for their foreign policy back. Because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Yeah. At the Cold War, all I got to say is... Ugh. Idiot. Obama, hey, hey! For those of you that still voted for Obama, that still haven't admitted it was a stupid, stupid uh, uh, choice, can we all just uh, everybody just blink? If you voted for Obama and you're sorry, then just blink right now. I can feel the breeze already from your eyelashes. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just waiting, and you know, and I think I think this is bears. I'm gonna play it again. I love this thing, Governor Romney. I'm glad that you recognize that Al Qaeda is a threat. Because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s or now, calling to ask for their foreign policy back. Because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Yeah, you know, when we, when we start electing a president, let's talk about one week ago. One week ago on The Tonight Show, Carly Fiorina made a comment about, about uh, Vladimir Putin. Carly Fiorina, who I think is the Iron Lady, and I think she's my number one right now, but... Here's what, here's what Carly Fiorina said. I would describe him as a formidable adversary. He's very confident. He's very, he actually can be quite funny and charming. Yep. Um, but he's a KGB guy. You know, we should never forget this. And he lusts for power and he's gathered up a lot of it. And he's a very bad actor. And it's a very bad thing that his fighter jets and his soldiers are sitting in Syria right now. That's a bad thing. That is a bad thing. You know what? You know what? As we get ready to elect a, a new president, and I know, and we're going to talk a lot about it because there's a lot of difference. I've come to the conclusion that we're not going to get anybody who fits everything we want on every subject. So we have to make a decision what's going to be the best for our country overall. Um, but the one thing that we need to determine, the one thing we need to ask ourselves and ask our candidate that we're going to vote for is just this. Smarter than a fifth grader. You know what? We can't put a fifth grader in there. That's why the Constitution says you have to be at least 35 to run for president. Because they assume at 35 you're smarter than a fifth grader. Apparently, we missed that one eight years ago and again four years ago or three years ago. Um, so let's, let's, let's keep our heads screwed on straight, f folks, and keep focused. So uh, next thing, next, next stupid thing that's going on in this country. The U.S. Army's kicking out decorated Green Beret in an 11-year Special Forces career after he got in trouble for helping a comrade shove an Afghan police commander uh, shove an Afghan police commander accused of raping a boy, raping a boy, and beating up his mother when she reported the incident. Martlin and former Captain Daniel Quinn were told they were being encouraged by higher-ups that there was nothing to do, that such horrific acts, a practice known to the Afghan locals as boy play, that these were Afghan problems and the Afghan authorities uh, should work it out. 
Uh, Jake Tapper reported on this on CNN. Last week, we told you about the case of Captain Dan Quinn and Sergeant First Class Charles Martland. Quinn left the Army on his own, but Martland is being essentially kicked out. Today, CNN obtained a statement from Martland in which the soldier says he had a moral obligation to act. In the statement provided originally to Republican Congressman Duncan Hunter, Martland writes, quote, kicking me out of the Army is morally wrong and the entire country knows it. The alleged rapist whom he confronted is a U.S.-backed Afghan police commander who had allegedly tied a young boy to a bed and raped him repeatedly for up to two weeks, according to the boy and his mother, as well as according to other police commanders. Captain Quinn was with Marland when they physically confronted the rapist to send him a message, they say. Sadly, it was not the first time the soldiers had heard of this kind of abuse in this village, but they say they had previously been told by higher-ups in the Army that it was an Afghan matter and that there was nothing they could do about it. However, the local Afghan government, the two soldiers say, was not willing to act. Amazing. And now this case has gone to Congressman uh, Republican Duncan Hunter from San Diego, who who writes to uh, Ash Carter, the Secretary of Defense. I'm once again dismayed by the Army's actions in this case. Hunter wrote in the letter to Carter, Martlin is described by many by his teammates as the finest soldier they have ever served alongside. Everybody, what's going on in this country? What is going on in this country? We're kicking out good, good Army people for standing up for what's right. Hey, we're out of time for part one. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. Part two, coming up after five minutes of traffic, weather, and commercials. Don't go away. I'll be right back. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located in the city of Moreno Valley. If you need any help with financial stuff on real estate, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020. You won't hear me talk very much about it, but if you hear something that sounds like common sense and you need some real estate financing, you want to talk to someone like-minded, 855-640-2020. So uh, we've been talking about what's going on in the country, and now I want to talk about talk about what's going on in the presidential election and uh and while we're at it we'll talk about the election in general because in here on the on the phone i have uh mr tom del Bacaro, former former uh, uh head of the california republican party author of the new book the divided era and now they are uh, the guy i'm supporting for uh barbara boxer's seat in the in the u.s senate for california that is being abandoned because it's time she she's long overdue to uh to retire tom Welcome to the show. Hey, Ed. Thanks so much to excuse me hear your voice, and thanks so much for uh, hosting that event this week with Stephen Moore. It was great. Yeah, and I think it was. Uh, I think it was uh, for the people that were there um, talking about tax plans was quite uh, was quite enlightening for a lot of people because a lot of people, a lot of people I talked to about the election, they don't real they don't realize how important that tax plan is to the overall. The overall, just the the healing of our country is not well. You know, we need to have somebody who will be who will be tough on foreign policy and tough on immigration and tough on this and tough on that. But they don't realize the impact of what the tax plan does to our country. Would you like to expand? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, tax policy plays an enormous role along with regulations and debt in whether the economy grows or not. Uh, six years ago, in 2008, now now seven years ago, wow, in 2008, I made a prediction on national radio that if Obama was elected, that we would have, as long as he was there, 
not a very good economy. We'd have some good periods. We'd have some bad periods, but no strong uh, trending upward growth. The reason for that was when he took over, there was already problems. When he took over, there were 30 years in the growth of federal regulations, uh, state regulations, state taxes, federal taxes, and state and federal debt. All of those weigh the economy down. And they're cumulative. It's sort of like if you had a pack animal making its way up the hill and everybody keeps throwing stuff on top of it, it eventually begins to slow down. And so we're presented today with a pack animal that's severely overburdened. And and periodically throughout history when this happens, think of a Reagan, think of a Kennedy, a Coolidge, they're smart enough to take some of those packs off and let the animal walk faster up the hill. Well, that's the American economy. And today... We need not just a tinkering or a managing of the tax code. We need a rewrite of the tax code. That's why I'm for a flat tax. Stephen Moore is my uh, uh, consultant, my economic advisor. He was out there helping me this week. We had events in Southern California and Northern California. And if we had a flat tax, growth would be restored. Okay, so let's talk about what this means to the people out there because – uh, obviously, there's half the people out there don't pay anything. They go, well, you know, they always talk about cutting taxes, but it doesn't ever seem to affect me because I pay in $6,000 over the year and then I get back $10,000. Um, or I pay back or I pay in $4,500 and I get back $4,500. It doesn't really affect a lot of people, but it really does. Yeah, whether or not the economy is expanding affects everyone. So you want a tax code that results in economic expansion. For instance, you hear a lot of discussion, Ed, these days about income inequality. And there's some myths related to that. First of all, it's a statistic that measures my income against my daughter's income. I've been working 28 years. She's been working one. That's not a fair comparison. The vast majority of the people in the lowest 20% are under 30 years old. The vast majority in the upper 20% are over 50 years old. That's not coincidental. That's that's obvious as to why that would occur. So that's an unfair comparison. The most important thing, and I'm actually writing an op-ed about this, is whether there's opportunity. Because when the the economy expands, you see that over a five-year period, uh, up 30% of the people in the bottom 20% make their way up the ladder, at least that amount. Why is that? Because they're young, they're getting jobs, and they're moving up the ladder. So the key isn't the discussion, because the myth that I'm getting at is that the bottom 20% is a fixed amount and the bottom, and the top 20% are a fixed amount. That's not true. There's statistics that show that people drop out of the top and move up from the bottom. But unless you have a growing dynamic economy, that doesn't exist. In, uh, occur as well. I can't tell you how many of my daughter's kids, I ask them where they're working, and they kind of hang their heads and they tell me, because they don't actually have career jobs that they went to school for, because those jobs don't exist. So the key is an expanding economy, and every time we've lowered tax rates in our history, that is what has occurred. And when people are out there saying, hey, well, you know, you're cutting the tax, because this is the Democrats' uh the Democrats' narrative is is we're cutting tax taxes for the rich people. The rich people right. are the ones that create the jobs. Well, true enough, because in order to create businesses, you have to have savings. And you get savings over time by making enough money, more than enough money for yourself or what you want to buy, and you create that business. 
but there's also a more fundamental issue. And that is the issue is, is the current system working for people today? We, Steve Moore at the, at, the, at the event you graciously hosted made it very clear. The bottom 90% of America, so essentially 90% of America, on average has lost about 1600 in wages over the last seven years. Lost that amount. So they're losing ground under the current system, which, by the way, the current system has... A very has high tax rates, a progressive tax system, lots of regulations, debt, and and so is that working for these people? No, they're losing ground. Is the top ten percent doing better than that? Yes. Usually the top ten percent does better all the time. We're not. I'm not concerned about them. What I'm concerned about is a dynamic economy for the rest of America. And the only way to get a dynamic economy is to get government off the back. And and this is these are simple laws of economics and they don't change over time. It's about time we paid attention to them. Exactly. So the Democrats would suggest that hey, cut the taxes for the middle class, which they don't hardly pay any taxes, and uh, then that will create opportunity. How does that create opportunity? How does it It cre- doesn't. It doesn't because they recently raised the taxes on the so-called rich and it hasn't produced that type of economy. What they've done, think about all the things the left has done since Obama. They put in Obamacare and they pro- they said that would help the economy. It hasn't. It actually hurts the economy. And it hurts health care for sure. Yeah. They uh, had the stimulus bill, 800 plus billion in spending for shovel-ready jobs, which Obama admitted they weren't really shovel-ready, and it hasn't produced the sustained economic growth. They did cash for clunkers. They, they've piled on these regulations. The result, they've thrown every spending mechanism in the book at the economy, and it hasn't worked. What does work is when you restore incentives for people to take risk, and you have rates that are low enough so that people can get savings and start small businesses. That's not happening right now. In fact, we've reached a, the, a dangerous part in our history, and that is where businesses failing or going out of business exceed the number of those going in business. In other words, business the number of businesses is reducing. You can't do that. You can't you can't deal with a a growing population when the number of businesses is reducing. And so we have to get to a place where the economy expands. Let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg for a minute. The left's theory is that he shouldn't have this money and on and on. I don't care how much he has. Mark Zuckerberg being being the uh, founder of Facebook. Facebook. For those of you that haven't seen the social network. (laughs) So 15 years ago, his technology doesn't even exist. Now he's employing tens of thousands of people and giving me a free service. How do I, why should I complain about this? In fact, it's not just, it's not only a free service. I actually pay Facebook money to boost certain posts that I make. It's a great service to me. Why do I care how much money he has? He's the one who, who's employing people. Think of Twitter. Think of Google. Think of all these companies that didn't exist long ago. Think of Apple. You want, yeah, Apple. You want to encourage them, and the way you do that is through lower rates. And this isn't just some theory. There's a reason why Austin, Texas now outpaces the Silicon Valley in new business startups related to technology. The reason is the income tax rate there is zero, 
the income tax rate in California is 13.3%. If you're starting a new business, why would you want to pay the government 13.3% when you can start it up in Austin and pay nothing? Um, yeah, you don't have to be a math major to figure that one out, do we? Well, you know the the weather in California is so much nicer than uh, <laughs> so much nicer than Texas. But I you know I, I I work a lot of hours and I spend a lot of time in my air conditioned office at seventy degrees, and it's really nice in there, no matter what the weather is. So I guess I guess for people building the business, they don't really care what the weather is outside. No, and and Show there, the there's money. a growing dynamic there. Look, there's a reason why. Many large businesses have essentially renounced their U.S. citizenship, like Burger King and and Abbott, and moved their their money overseas. Money goes where it's most welcome, and we need to make it welcome here again. That's why my flat tax is simple and elegant. For businesses, it's at 15.5% with immediate expensing, meaning no 20-year uh, depreciation cycle, none of that. If, if you have a business, you take in income. If you're paying for wages, you get to deduct them right away. If you buy something, you get to deduct it right away. Uh, if you're an individual, 15.5% rate, family of four, no taxes below four, uh, until your income exceeds $48,000. What does that do? It means you could do your own tax return, but for business, it provides a huge bonus. So uh, let me ask you. And you go out through the year, you have a small business, meaning uh, the number of owners, okay. and throughout the year, you have to periodically, or at least most small businesses, consult with your accountant and get an understanding of where you are on taxes so you leave enough money around to pay your taxes, right? Correct. Well, my tax plan makes it really easy. All you have to do is consult Quicken. Because let's say you hit July 1st, and you're wondering, okay, I paid quarterlies, but I want to make sure I'm um, on track. All you do is find out what your revenues are and your expenses, and if you're ahead, you say, okay, 15.5%, and then you think, and then you're, there's your tax, and you know whether your quarterlies are keeping pace or not. You don't have to make a phone call for anyone. And, and this is really important for the psychological effect it has on business because many small businesses get worried towards the end of the year and, and start to hold back because they're not certain about taxes. This removes that doubt and makes it very easy for people to do their own income taxes and then expand the economy because they'll have more money. And what, is, what do businesses do? Ed, if, if you found out tomorrow that you had $10 million that you didn't think was there, what would you do with it? Um, I'd open some more offices or go on some more vacations. I don't know, probably, I don't think I could vacation enough to spend $10 million. <laughs> I'd invest it. I wouldn't, yeah, exactly. You, I wouldn't you let would... it sit in the bank at 0. 0.000000.2. So if you spend it, that would be good for the economy. If you kept your own money... You... That would be good for the economy because if you go buy shoes or you buy a car, then the car maker, the car dealer, the shoe maker, the shoe dealer, they get income. That's a good thing. If you invest it, that means, let's say you bought stock. That, that's good for those companies. Let's say you bought, you lent it to somebody. That's good for them. The only thing that could negative come out of you keeping your money is if you went out back and burned it. But I know you well enough. Nah, You're not going to do that. Not going to do that. Hey, so let's 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 uh, compare what you just you just helped us understand the theory. Let's t let's talk about 
and then I want to then I want to get back in some some comparisons here. This this week, uh, Donald Trump uh, really unveiled his tax plan. He's the fourth Republican candidate to release one, joining Bush, Paul, and Rubio. Um, and first, first let's talk. I know I don't remember what Bush's plan was. I know uh, uh, Ron Paul wants a flat consumption tax of fourteen point five. We'll get to that. I want to get to that at the end, which is only one percent lower than yours. Um, and I think uh, Ben Carson thinks we should be a straight at ten percent across the board. But I don't know that he's released that in a tax plan. He just says that's his his tithe thing. If it's good enough for God, it's good good enough for America. Rubio says he's got two tax two tax brackets fifteen and thirty five, which to me aren't low that's enough. That's and, a mistake. And everybody, everybody has a uh, everybody has a corporate rate that's lower. Uh, Donald Trump said he wants to consolidate tax brackets from seven to four. I don't really give a crap what the uh, how many brackets there are. He has a zero, a ten, a twenty, and a twenty-five. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, uh, Bush said twenty-eight was his. Exempts all married couples making fifty thousand dollars or less from income tax. Exempts all singles making twenty-five thousand or less from income tax. Cuts ta- capital gains rate to 20% from 23.8. It was 15 in Bush's year. Eliminating the alternative tax, minimum tax. Um, unlike some other candidates, Trump would, would not propose ending taxation of individuals' investment income, nor would he expand standard deduction, child credit, other middle-class tax credits. Some of the other GOP candidates have suggested. For business, Mr. Trump's 15% rate is among those. Okay, first of all, I have a, I have a, I have a concern when the individual rate is twenty five or thirty five, but the corporate rate is fifteen. Won't that just make people go uh, go create S corps and, and LLCs and find a way to take their W two income and and pay it to pay exactly. it to their corporation? Yeah. So what the problem you immediately find is when you create these inequities in the system, meaning differences between corporate and non corporate rate. Um, then what they do is start to play these games. That's why you need one rate for all of these things. The problem with Trump's plan is it has all these multiple rates. Bush has three rates for his, um, and then a different rate for corporations. You don't want that. You want government to be a neutral in the process, not to pick a winner or loser, not to tax one style of business over another, the, the business over the sole proprietor. And so also when you create these multiple rates, you open the door for people to start saying, well, let's, take, let's raise that one rate. Who really cares? That'll go up to 25. No, stay at the 15.5, go across the board, simplify it, and take away the temptation to, for government to pick one winner or one loser. And for people to cheat. I know that we just converted my corporation to an S-corp. Um, I don't know that there was a, a huge amount of huge amount of uh, of advantage S corp versus C corp, but in, under these conditions, I would just leave all the profit in in the corporation. It would flow through to my personal taxes, and I'd pay at the corporate rate at fifteen, and then I would just take distributions, and don't and distributions are untaxed. So it, rather than rather than give myself money on a W two that I have to pay at twenty five or thirty five. Yeah, get rid of those incentives. And it's human nature for you to to move around like that. And it's human nature for businesses to park their money offshore where they can avoid taxes. I want to remove all those incentives, and I want the money to stay here, and I want people to focus on making money instead of focus on ways to avoid the tax man. You know, I'm a small business attorney, and so I meet with clients all the time. And I constantly have to say, well, what's your accountant say so you don't have to pay too much taxes? 
that's a bad discussion. The discussion should be, how can we make more money? Now, a lot of people are, are like every, about everything Trump says because he says the stuff that makes sense to the to the uh, the low income, the low information, low information voter. And he's talking about taxing everybody who's got uh, stuff overseas. So I, I see that as that's probably a positive. But I mean, for like uh, Apple, who's building billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of iPhones and they build them in China because it's, it's cheaper. What's your yeah. what's your take? Yeah, on? It pushes it. Yeah, because we're pushing investment uh, overseas and there's a good reason, because it's more welcome over there. But let's even go more basic than that. Apple has over a billion dollars in cash reserves, yet they, they have hundreds of millions of loans that they're, pay, that they're getting an interest deduction on. Does that make sense? Why should the tax code reward them for taking on debt when they, when they have cash? It should be a neutral in that. They shouldn't get that kind of, uh, of incentive. Again, you want government to be a neutral, not to be picking winners and losers. An S-Corp shouldn't be better than an individual, shouldn't be different from an LLC. Make them, or a, or a C-Corporation like GM, make them all the same. There's a reason why GE, despite all its revenues, didn't pay any taxes. It's the tax code. They have much better lobbyists than you or me. We shouldn't have a system that rewards the rich and the lobbyists we should have a system that gets government out of the way. And if the left wants to own the IRS and all its deductions, let them. But we, on those on the, on the right, should own prosperity. Okay, so let's, let's talk about something that we talked about at the fundraiser on, uh, on Tuesday. Um, or was it Monday? It was Monday. So, uh, and not enough people were there that, that are listening to this uh, show. A lot more people will hear this show. Um, I brought up... Why a flat tax versus a consumption tax? To me, it would to me, I say, I don't mind paying my share of the taxes. I want everybody to pay taxes, and I think people that make a thousand dollars a month should pay their fair share, and people that make a thousand dollars a year should pay their fair share, and people that make two hundred million dollars a year should pay their fair share. I don't think I don't you know I don't think it should be a bigger portion of any. I'm with uh, with Ben Carson on that. Ten percent's enough, but would seem would seem to me that a consumption tax meaning a national sales tax would be easier for would be harder for people to cheat on i asked you that question and your response was well the response is this we have something called the 16th amendment that puts the income tax code in force and that needs if you wanted to have a consumption tax and you can make the argument like mike huckabee does that that doesn't penalize initiative it only taxes spending, you can make that argument. The problem is, again, the income tax exists. And I would never advocate having both exist at the same time because they'll never go away. So the problem is is you have to get rid of the income tax, and that takes a constitutional amendment, and that'll take a long time, if ever, because remember, it takes three-quarters of the states to amend the Constitution. And three, and right now, with the red state, blue state divide, you're not going to get that. So I don't want to put in a consumption tax on top of an income tax. What I want to do is get that flat tax in February of 2017 and start our economic recovery in earnest. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh... Three quarter, if it if it takes three quarters of the states, it would appear to me when I look at a red state blue state divide that there's way 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 more red states than than blue states. It's just the blue states have the highest the highest concentration of 
population. Does it go by electoral votes or it goes by just you know Kansas Number of states? So so you don't think Did we somebody, get a, but it take our last our last amendment was decades ago. It was nineteen ninety two. It takes a long time. So okay, go ahead and start the process. I'm not against the process of removing the income tax altogether. It's just gonna take a long time. It's just gonna take too long. We need recovery today. So I, I looked it up. Our last our last constitutional amendment was passed in nineteen ninety two where the Congress uh where they voted that the Congress can't vote themselves in a a uh a raise. They can only vote them vote the next session of Congress in a raise. And that thing had been on the table for seventy four thousand days. Uh, it was suggested, uh, I don't know, 74,000, is that 150 years or something? 74,000 days before, uh, was suggested, and it took them 74,000 days till they finally uh, voted it in, and uh, that was the 27th Amendment. The 26th Amendment was uh, like 1911 or something. I don't, I don't think they're... Uh... I don't think we have that much time. Yeah, I don't think so either. So, so to to summarize, to summarize for those of you that didn't catch on, because I don't know that everybody hears the same thing that we're saying, is what Tom is explaining that the consumption tax makes sense, but it's going to take so much time to get a constitutional amendment passed. Whereas changing to a flat tax can be a a, a, a bill go through House, Senate, and the president signs it, and can happen in a few days. It could happen uh, on February 17th if we get the right Republican. I'm sorry, in February of 2017 if we get the right Republican president. Very good. Hey, I I, I think uh, that was great clarity to me. I know everything, but I'm sure happy that uh, that uh, there's guys like you that clarify some of the things that I don't know as well as I think I do. So uh, so Tom Del Beccaro, he's running for Senate in the in the, for California to take Barbara Boxer's seat. Um, there's a bunch of no, there's a bunch of people you've never heard running against him, including Kamala Harris, who is our uh, our attorney general, who uh, basically is has okayed the uh, the uh, sanctuary cities. We don't want her in there. We want Tom in there. So stay tuned, Tom. I'm gonna have you on my show as often as I can. Thanks for coming on. And uh, where can they get more information about you? They can go to Del Beccaro for Senate. D E L B E C C A R O for Senate or Political Vanguard or Forbes and, and see my writings there. Thanks so much. Very good, Tom. Thanks for being on the show. I'm out of time for uh, this uh, this episode of the main event, folks. My name is Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event, and I'll be back again with you next week. <laughs> <laughs>